This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop. And hence I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Rami Darwish, founder and CEO of Error Labs. I used to work for, you know, Fortune 500 corporate companies in the tech space, and I was working on large projects that would cover like an entire city, for example. So a safe city project or an integrated city project. And we had a lot of tools, right? To, you know, everything from, you know, video wall tools to access to databases and information in real time. But when you're doing a large city or you're doing a city type project, you're interacting with the real world. You're not sitting in a bubble. You're interacting with people, with you know, workers in the street, frontline people that A, either are providing you valuable information or you need to provide them valuable information. I realized while I was doing that, like, oh my God, like as soon as we want to get information out to the frontline or get information from the frontline back into the HQ, everything stopped being digital and became manual. Rami is a founder and entrepreneur in digital technology for the enterprise and B2B segment. He has a deep understanding of business growth and scale strategy. He's an expert in workforce management and digitalization of the field operation. And beyond that, he has a deep understanding of mobility in the enterprise. In 2011, he founded Error Labs, a company that envisions a world where employees and in particular deskless workers can connect, collaborate, and perform at their highest potential with minimum intervention to their workday. And that inspired me, and hence I invited Rami to my podcast. We explore what's broken in the world of the deskless worker and how this negatively impacts efficiency, accuracy, customer service, and even safety. Rami shares the approach that they've taken to enable those field workers to deliver their best work in the toughest conditions. He also details what they did to not only survive the pandemic themselves, actually come out stronger as a company. Last but not least, he shares his experiences around creating momentum, especially in a market that hasn't got a change or a growth mindset. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, 
how to avoid wasting lots of energy, time and money by focusing your efforts on people who believe what you believe. Secondly, why you should always strategize about the two or three moves ahead. So plan early and do a lot of executive steps ahead of time. Thirdly, that there is a fine line between being capital efficient and missing an opportunity. So take chances. And fourthly, why every opportunity should always start with the simple question, do I firmly believe in this? Well, hi, Rami. Thank you for making the time today and yeah, being a guest on my podcast. Thank you, Ton. It's great being on your podcast. Thank you for having me and allowing me to share my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I've been looking into your company and when I got introduced to you by someone else, that was a nice referral. The instant thing that I saw was that it's a great way of great fit with the purpose of my podcast. And that's why I decided, okay, let's plan this interview because it's a story worth amplifying. Before we start and talk about your company, Aerolabs, a little bit about you. You've listened to a couple of my podcasts, so you know the drill there. If you yeah. have to describe yourself <laughs> as a tech entrepreneur, what characterizes uh-huh. you there? It's always an interesting question when you're self-reflecting, but I definitely aspire to be somebody that makes waves, that's able to make a change and impact lives in a positive way or make something easier for people that was more challenging. So a little bit of a dreamer, maybe a little bit of a rebel to some extent in terms of challenging the status quo. So I think it's a combination of these things, I would say. Fantastic. (laughs) A man to my heart. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, waking waves just because this is the whole topic of my book. <laughs> Actually, there's a big wave on the cover of it. But I mean, I know what you mean. The making the waves yeah. part is about doing something that's transformative, that's creating meaningful change. And for that, yeah, you have to sometimes be a rebel because yeah. you have to do things in a different way, not improve something that's already there because that's way harder. And yeah, that's all about challenging the status quo. I like that. Glad you brought it up. So yeah, I mean, talking about making the bridge to your company, Aerolabs, what are the big waves you try to make with that company? What's the big idea behind it? Yeah, thank you for asking me that question, Ton. I think it's a topic that I'm deeply passionate about and I care about a lot. And it all started, I used to work for you know, Fortune 500 corporate companies in the tech space. And I was working on large projects that would cover like an entire city, for example. So a safe city project or an integrated city project. And I worked on a number of different cities in my region in MENA. I was an architect. I was a solutions architect. So my job was to pull everything together, right? Pull the data from different sources, architect a solution that delivers a centralized, let's say, pain or picture to the stakeholder on how their city is doing. So that's what I used to do. And while I was doing that, we had really a lot of digital tools in terms of for us sitting in the back office, I call it the back office, but Mm -hmm. basically us sitting with, you know, in places that have systems with access to data and technology and et cetera. And we had a lot of tools, right, to, you know, everything from, you know, video wall tools to access to databases and information in real time and things of the sort. But when you're doing a large city or you're doing a city type project, 
you're interacting with the real world. You're not sitting in a bubble. You're interacting with people, with, you know, workers in the street, frontline people that A, either are providing you valuable information or you need to provide them valuable information. So it goes both ways. I realized while I was doing that, like, oh my God, like as soon as we want to get information out to the frontline or get information from the frontline back into the HQ, everything stopped being digital and became manual. So it became analog, right? It became a phone call or it became a walkie-talkie blurb or it became a piece of paper or a clipboard or something of this. And I thought that that's crazy, right? Because, you know, the front line are one of the most important and critical elements of our infrastructure. So I'm talking about utility workers. I'm talking about oil and gas workers. I'm talking about telco infrastructure. You know, this human, this amazing human capital, I felt, has been not given the tools that they need to become better and to become more productive and to contribute to the digital footprint, right? They're still working on paper. They're still working on these things. And that was my aha moment, if you will, where I felt, okay, this is a problem that I want to solve. And because of my, the nature of my job, I spent a lot of time in the field with those wonderful, amazing people that because of them, we get service delivered, whether it's, you know, your internet is connected, your gas is connected, whatever. So it's because of them. And when I spend time with them and I see them, you know, fiddling around with paper or clipboards and not being able to communicate, not finding out about a problem until later on, causing them to spend more time working. I mean, it was just crazy. So I became very, very passionate about this topic. And that's why I formed Arrow Labs to solve the disconnect and connect the deskless. Connect and I call the them, deskless, yeah. I call them deskless, right? Because they don't work behind the desk. Whether you work in a warehouse or on a you know, telco tower or you're in an oil and gas field or you know, you're not working behind the desk. Yeah, that's correct. And these people at the end, the better they can solve a problem first time, everybody wins because it brings down costs. It increases service levels, increases experience. It takes away the frustration from not having the service available. I mean, talking about a couple of things that happened recently in my area here where I live, where they cut off the water and one disaster happened after the other. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Possibly because of a lack of information, a lack of knowledge how to do things in the proper way. And to be honest with you, Ton, to some extent, I feel they get disenfranchised, you know, to some extent, but it's not fair because they don't have the information that, you know, and I think that's a real issue. And I'm on a mission to solve that issue. Nice mission to have. It's a big mission to have, but it's a nice one. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it is. (laughs) What do you believe is the opportunity if we get this right? You know, if if the world embraces kind of the outcome of your work. I think it will have a massive impact on all levels. So one, it will have a great impact on basically providing this much needed technology out to the frontline will enable them to contribute to the digital footprint. They'd be able to become much more productive at what they're doing. They'd be able to learn new skill sets and tools that will, you know, empower them in their job, but also empower them in their life. And it will provide them an opportunity to excel and to do better for the corporations and the companies. It brings efficiency. It brings accuracy. It brings safety. It brings better customer service. 
So it's definitely a win-win. Let me make a small interruption here. Rami just made a key remark about the angle that he took to create something that has the biggest potential to create meaningful impact. The focus on creating win-win situations. So instead of only focusing on benefits to the business, he focused on creating a meaningful difference for both the deskless workers and the business that they are employed by. It's an example of a trait remarkable software companies master. They create something that's both valuable and desirable. And this helps them to drive momentum. They create both a pull and a push effect. It creates solutions so powerful that users don't want to do without them anymore. And at the same time, it helps the business to gain competitive advantage. And you can master these traits as well. And I've got various options for you to start. Just go to valueinspiration.com to learn about the masterminds and the work streams to put the fundamental building blocks in place to fast track the growth of your software business. And as you're there anyway, don't forget to grab a free Kindle version of my book, The Remarkable Effect, to start sparking new inspirations in the next 30 minutes. Back to the interview. And listen, don't get me wrong. I understand there were technological limitations that existed before that prevented this kind of wave from happening. You know, you'd need a robust, you know, network infrastructure. So it couldn't have been possible to do this when cellular networks were on edge, you know. So we needed to have 3G. We needed to have 4G. So we needed to have these, these advancements happen to enable this kind of technology. But now is the time, right? And COVID really showed that, you know, accelerated this by leagues because we all of a sudden realized we can't depend on the traditional analog and manual ways. Digitalization is on top of every CEO's mind today is how do I stay connected with my business, no matter what the circumstances are. Completely agree. We are talking about COVID at the end, like all the negatives that COVID of course has brought. I agree with you. It has also brought a lot of positive change, particularly in this area where the world has actually increased the number of people that are, well, now office-less, but possibly even more deskless as well and more isolated, you know? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. That, and, that's where this will help. Yeah. And it has, but it also turned to the same extent when COVID happened, these critical services and the frontline that are delivering these critical services could not lock down, could not stay at home. Yeah. Not, they still had to continue functioning. They still had to continue working, whether it's nurses at a hospital or whether it's telco technicians in the field, making sure that your internet still runs. So they didn't have, you know, the safety net of you can lock down and stay at home. They still had to go out and they still had to do their jobs and they had to do it maybe probably in a lot more difficult circumstance. So from that extent, I think there's a point to be made there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is then also the gift of COVID to kind of highlight the positive side of it. Acceleration, of course, yeah, that's brought a lot of opportunities. So, I mean, you started your company in uh, January 2018. Has COVID in this respect brought any change in terms of the order of doing things or the way you approach things and you go to market? Yeah, I think quite a bit has changed. I'd like to give an example. In March 2020, we were awarded a major project with a national telecommunications provider. And that was literally two days before the lockdown, the national lockdown. So there was no travel, no moving. And, you know, I huddled with my team and I'm like, okay, guys, we just been awarded this massive project and we need to deliver. How are we going to do that? We can't fly to the customer. We can't send our engineers. We can't do this. We can't do that. 
and we huddled and we had a couple of workshops with the customer and we agreed, listen, we can deliver the entire solution, the entire project, we can deliver it digitally. So we can do this. And of course, that presented a, set of, a different set of challenges of things we were not used to. We're not used to project delivery, you know, completely virtual. You know, we are used to having in-person workshops, in-person you know, engineers from our side working with the customer, whether it's on infrastructure setup or whatever it is, or data upload or whatever it is that needs to happen. And all of a sudden, we had to do all of this in a, we had to deliver an implementation digitally. So I think that was a very interesting, a very, very interesting stark change in terms of how we did things before and how we did things after. And then we were forced to build it, but we built basically an entire process you know, merged with tech tools, merged with kind of a workflow and know-how of how to be able to deliver our platform implementation to a customer completely remotely, wherever they are, with no physical interaction. So in one hand, I think it was a big challenge in the beginning to solve. But on the other hand, linking it to your second point, it enabled us to scale. So all of a sudden, we can deliver to a customer wherever he is, right? So that was something new from that perspective. And I think the other point that I want to try to communicate, and I think it's a very important point, is customers started more actively looking for our types of solutions. And we capitalized on building a campaign where we offered a portion of our services for the frontline at no charge and no fee for the customers, for example, our tracking service. So we offered our tracking service to our customers, of course, but also anyone else, any new frontline operators, whether it's a hospital or a health authority, to use our tracking services to help them fight the battle against COVID. What did that result into? I think that the point and purpose for us was to contribute to the fight against COVID, for, for us to okay, guys, what can we do in this battle? What can we help with as a company? So for us, that's what it was about. But, you know, we also got to know a lot more organizations, a lot more intimately. And after a certain period of time, almost even a year after, some of those people came back and said, listen, we love the technology. When we used it during COVID, we would like to do more stuff with you. So there was a good benefit that came out of it, although that wasn't the intention. Yeah, I've heard a couple of those scenarios. I'm currently writing my second book, which is indeed about remarkable resilience. It's like, how do you not only survive a crisis like we've just seen, but actually get better out of it? And I think you've just highlighted two very important points. One, care for your customers, help them get through that time, and then it will pay mm-hmm. back in one way or the other after that. The other is at the end, yeah, embrace the change. Do what's required. And what you now see is that now with the capabilities that you've developed in the meantime, you've become more scalable. And that's how the company has actually become stronger. Strong story. I'd like to get a, wind back a little bit on the journey that you've been through in the last three years, almost mm-hmm. four years. Mm-hmm. You start with the big idea that you've talked about that. And then you decide on, okay, how are we going to tackle this? Because, I mean, talking about the size of this, this is a massive mm-hmm. global problem. How did you decide... Where to start? And how did you approach this in terms of the decisions that you've made? Wow. Okay. That's a great question. (laughs) I'm going to try to streamline the answer as much as I can. Started really, I mean, it was a massive undertaking. I knew we were solving a big problem. 
I knew we were solving a problem that probably existed at a global level. I didn't know at the time how much the size of the problem was. So I knew like it's going to be a problem that probably applies to many geographies, but I didn't really have a sense to the size of the problem at that time. So it really was humble beginnings. When the ecosystem where I'm at is fairly nascent in terms of startup entrepreneurial ecosystem, it's just gaining traction in the last couple of years. So it's still a developing ecosystem. So in a way, when I started, I didn't start building a startup. I started building a company, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I started building a business, essentially. And because I was connected to the world, to a specific world of from, from my you know, dealing with public sector and from my corporate life, I started speaking to some of those customers that I used to deliver, you know, work for. And I said, hey, you know, I have an idea about doing something like this. What do you think? And the beginnings were, we had a couple of early adopters that said, that sounds like a good idea. That sounds like something that we're looking for. Actually, we're thinking about how to solve this. Like, it's so complicated. And I said, well, listen, I think I'm working on something. And when the time comes, I'd like to bring it across. And those early customers were open to it. So I started building, essentially, and really have access to capital at the time. So it was kind of bootstrapping and you know doing it the old-fashioned way. And then I hired my first engineer to help me. And we started building together. And then at one point, we came up with, I don't want to even call it a beta version. It was something even earlier than a beta. It was something. It was something. Let's leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we took our something and we showed it to a client, one of the early adopters. And he's like, that's interesting. I mean, it's not very pretty, but I think it could work. And that was really the starting point of, I think we have something. And obviously, Was there a particular problem that you addressed out of the many problems? Which one did you take? So out of the many problems, we took the problem of, we wanted to focus on the task management problem, right? How do you get information from the back office to the front line? This is what needs to be done. This task needs to be executed and being able to get that, the information to that frontline person. This is what needs to be done. And this is the information we need to collect back. And I think that's the first one we started looking at. And that was really the starting point. From there, you know, it was like really an R&D project at the time. So I can't really say we had a product, we had any, you know, it was really just R&Ding. And we were, you know, building as we go, as we are kind of deploying in the early adopters, we were building up our solution. And up to a certain point in time in 2018, when we reach a stage where, okay, we have a beta, we have something that we can take to a wider market, and we have something that's enterprise accepted. So when you're doing a B2B business, Ton, I'm sure you're, you know, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. your background, you know what it's like. When you're selling in an enterprise, it's very, very different to selling to any other sector. And when you're selling to large yeah. enterprises, it's very different than selling to, you know, small businesses. So enterprise have certain criteria and requirements of certain level of robustness of anything they're going to implement. And you had to be there because if you don't have that, it doesn't matter how good what you have is, it won't fit Table in. Space, it won't yeah. Be, yeah. So in 2018, we raised our seed round once we realized, okay, we have something. And we raised it with an amazing VC called Global Ventures. 
and they believed in us. They believed in what we were building. And we were a very small team. We were like three people at that point. Yeah. And, that's a good uh, part. You know, that's, that's, you got the proof points. Yeah. You got traction with a couple of early adopter customers. That's a good starting point to say, okay, we're onto something. We now need some help to prove the validity of this on a larger scale. What decision in this whole process appear to be really important for the success that you have right now? Perseverance. I know it might sound like a cliche, but no. Perseverance can do amazing things for a human being. And being perseverant about what you want to accomplish, in my story, in my case, it's been one of the most important things that I had in my arsenal. And because as you go in this journey, Ton, I'm sure you've heard these many stories and you've probably been through a few yourself, is you know, there's a every lot of week. The, every single week, exactly. There's a lot of doubt points in an entrepreneur's mind. You always question things and you always think, am I doing the right thing? And, and you have a great team around you. That's super critical. And I think that was the best decision I made was how much attention I paid to bringing on the right team because you need the right team. And the second thing is, was being perseverant and believing in the vision and believing in being able to make this disruption. And there was a lot of resistance. You know, you're introducing something new to sectors yeah. that have not been revolutionized in the last 40, 50 years. People have been doing the same thing the same way for the past 40 years. So completely agree. That's so, like, you, know, you talked about your characteristics in the beginning, making waves, change, impact, rebel. <laughs> With all of those things, you're breaking acts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and people don't like that. No. And they're going to tell you wrong. They're going to tell you you're stupid. And then you can't do this. This is much too big. And I hear these stories every single week. The CEOs that I work with, the mastermind that I'm driving, because they're all doing something that's not been done before. Exactly. People haven't, yeah. People haven't got a picture of something that they can relate it to. And therefore, it seems frightening. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. And there was a lot of resistance along the way, but that's the truth. Like you said, Ton, that's the truth to anything new yeah. is there will be resistance and there will be friction yeah. and you not, you just have to plow through it. Yeah. Well, then my next question is likely going to be a, an open door, but what has been the hardest nut to crack on this journey? I don't know if I can narrow it down to one particular nut uh-huh. because it's more like there was a couple of nuts and they were all equally challenging. So one, you know, we had to deal with one of the hard things to do is to change a mindset. So, exactly. you know, the mentality of a potential customer that you're talking to, because you're doing two things, right, Ton? One, you're going to him not as IBM or Google, right? You're going to him as this little startup company yeah. in your backyard that's coming to try to put a piece of technology in your ecosystem that requires a behavioral change in how you do your business. So I think, you know, you're creating an effect of a change of mentality and you're doing it, you know, at the same time, simultaneously, you're creating a new market space because, you know, this didn't exist before. There wasn't like a mature market and there's, you know, 15 or 20 players in the market and the markets have been developed and the customers have been educated. You're doing this by yourself to some degree. So I think the mentality change and kind of going through the mentality challenge and you have to take people on the journey with you. They have to believe what you believe. Yeah. And just like you do it with a VC, you have to do it with a customer, right? You have to see where they're coming from. You have to understand where they're coming from as could be frustrating sometimes. I'm not going to lie. You know, it could be frustrating, 
but you have to take them on that journey and they have to get there on their own pace. Because if you rush it through, it doesn't work, at least in my experience. So I think that was one side. The other side, of course, was access to capital. I mean, that was an enormously difficult problem in probably maybe not much of a problem in some other ecosystems. But in our ecosystem, that was definitely one challenge of access to capital. And the third challenge, I think, was we were also building a technology and there wasn't really any known trailblazers before us. So nobody was building enterprise tech software as a business in MENA, right? There were startups in the food, like in services, like in food delivery, in consumer space, in e-commerce. So, you know, tons of examples there, but in what we were doing, there were no trailblazers. So we were the trailblazer to some extent. And that's always more difficult when you're, you know, raising capital. Exactly. The funny thing, however, I hoped you were going the direction because at the end, I've heard it many, many times. Often people think that the hardest nut to crack is the technical one. And it's not. Because <laughs> so, yeah. this was all about people, people, and more people. So how funny is it that actually the biggest hurdle to jump in order to get to a better world at the end, technology-wise and embracing innovation is about yeah, embracing it ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I like the challenge. Sure. You know, I like being put in challenging situations and trying to figure out how to, you know, navigate in those situations. And definitely, you know, a paradigm shift to change somebody's mentality about something, about a technology, about a practice, changing the way you're doing something, you know, it's part of the process. It's something that I like working with people. So it was a challenge, but it was a challenge that I embraced. Uh, that immediately kind of yeah, drills up a lot of more questions. But getting people on the journey, changing their perspective, making them buy into this and making them want to be part of that journey. What has been some lessons learned from your end? What worked best and what didn't work at all that you expected to work? In that particular area of Well, I mean, you know, getting people on the journey. and Yeah. So, I mean, I think that something critical that I learned that the person you're talking to has to be ready. They have to be ready to go on the journey. They can't be forced to go on the journey. And you need to kind of take them there on a step-by-step. Some people we talk to are ready to go on the journey. They've reached a conviction of some sort that we need to change. We need to change the way we're doing things. And we can't be doing things the same way we're doing them. They might not know that your way is the best way, but they're ready for a change. They're ready to embrace talking about a change. Others, not so much. Others are not there yet. And what I've learned, if somebody is not there yet, you can't force it on them, right? You have to take it step by step. And I think that was a very, very valuable lesson. It helped us as a company become a lot more efficient in how we do things. Very valid point. I mean, I actually had a conversation yesterday with, or this earlier this week, Wednesday, with Ryan Falkenberg, who's highlight, well, he's got a part of a case study in my book. He read the book. Together, well, this time also with his co-founder, the head of sales, and they also realized that they sort of fallen in love with their own solution. So to taking things from the technology side and trying to convince everybody that the solution was great, where what they really needed to focus on was validating the size of the problem. And I mean, that's mm. where I think you're going to with, in order to be ready, there needs to be something that's bothering. There's something that is at stake if you don't do anything about it. So the problem needs to be big and it needs to be critical on your agenda. And mm-hmm. once you start to see that, that's where eyes open and say, okay, I'm looking for something that can help me. Yeah, that's a great way to start. But too many people are trying to push 
things on people and yeah, it's highly costly. So interesting. It, yeah, it definitely is. But there's also a silver lining. There's also, and I see this in myself, in my team, when we succeed and a customer goes on the journey with us, and then we see, you know, a technician or a worker or a frontline caregiver benefiting from the technology that now they have and refusing to go back to the old ways that puts yeah. a smile on our face. That's really what makes us do this <laughs> to some extent. That's what it's all about. I'd like to kind of talk about it in terms of that you create something that they would miss if it was gone. And if you create something where actually people come hunting after you because you take it away from them or you've gone a different direction, it means that you've done something that's remarkable. I like that phrase, yeah. Refusing to go back to what they had. Yeah, it's definitely a proof of transformation and a positive impact. Let me see. I mean, I just wrapped about my book. I wrote this book, a Remarkable Effect, and it highlights the 10 traits that define remarkable software businesses. I'd like to get your perspective on this because you also talked about the fact that you started this whole journey not from Silicon Valley, where there's all the support and all the infrastructure and all the ecosystem and every, all the support you can possibly think of in order to start a business or a startup. What do you believe are critical traits that you need to have in order to create something that people keep talking about? In my personal opinion, you, you need to be doing this for a reason, right? And almost every entrepreneur I know is not an entrepreneur because they want to do, create a business. They're an entrepreneur because they have an idea in their mind that they want to make a reality. So I think that's super critical that you need to believe and have the passion and the drive of what it is that you want to make a reality. Because at the end of the day, what entrepreneurs are doing all over the world, whether they're in Silicon Valley or in MENA, what entrepreneurs are doing, they are creating ideas and translating those ideas into new things in our world. And I think that's critical. You have to have that, right? Because from that comes a lot of other traits that you need along the way. From that comes the perseverance, from that comes the passion, from that comes the drive, from that comes... So it's this urge and need to create something that makes an impact. So I think that's one. I think you need to have experience. You know, you need to either have life experience, some sort of business experience to a certain level. I'm not saying you need to, you know, be reach an executive level position before you do something, but you need to have, because at the end of the day, it is a business world. And if you don't have the experience, you need to surround yourself by people you trust that have that experience because it's super important as you build a business. I think it's one thing to build a piece of technology. It's a whole different thing to make it a product, productizing yeah. something and commercializing something and making it a business. So I think there's a strong distinction there that we need to pay attention to. And, you know, the third thing I think that's really important, and I can't stress this enough, is team. You got to have a great team because it's not a one person show. You know, it's not one person that creates something. Maybe it's one person that has the idea and starts something, but it's a team that gets it there. And I think that's really, these three things are super important. I like the wisdom that you share there, and I can only agree seeing this around me. This, these are super important things. And I like to put the way you put it in terms of creating tech as one thing, but creating a product out of it is a whole lot of other things. So true. <laughs> and you need lawyers. <laughs> Explain. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of 
legalities when you're building a business, you're building a product, you're building something, you know, to take it to market. You know, I always joke with some of my friends that are entrepreneurs. I'm like, listen, don't try to become a lawyer overnight. Actually get a lawyer and do it the right way because that's really important. Yeah. Well, that brings me to another question that is, yeah, I sometimes ask, like, what keeps you up at night? Like at this stage where you are with your company, yeah, what is that that keeps you thinking and reflecting and busy? What is that? I think how to reach more of those people faster in a better way. I still think we're in the beginning of our journey. There are literally more than 2 billion people on the planet that are deskless and still don't have access to technology and tools. So I think about, you know, how can I reach those people? How can I get there and provide businesses with those tools that are just going to provide better impact and make them become better businesses? So I think that's definitely one thing I think of. I also constantly think about all the new things that I want to develop in the platform, some new ideas, some really edge capabilities that make things are exciting and on one hand and you know and at the same time provide tremendous more value to people and yeah and just you know basically you know get more partners on board and get more people on the journey so that's the vision that's what i strive for that's what i hope to achieve one day yeah yeah it's a very nice problem to try to solve yeah there's many ways to do it but it's a question indeed how do you do it in a way without running out of steam, Fuel. out of runway? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, it's a race. Uh, it seems to be a race at the end. You know, it's if you don't do it, someone else will do it. And where do you start first? How to get the most traction? It's true, Ton. We can talk about you know really the business side of what every CEO has to do. You know, keep the machine oiled, keep your team motivated, keep everyone productive. But I really do tie it back to the vision and culture of the founder, because I think those, you know, every CEO has to do that. And you can have good CEOs that can take care of that, that part of running the business, whether it is the founder or whether you have a general manager that takes care of these parts. But I think that constantly pushing the vision forward and getting people motivated, excited would automatically help everything else. If you're breaking into new markets, if you're scaling to new customers or growing existing customers, you know, the VCs will come, the money yeah. will come. And of course, there were a lot of times in the journey where, you know, where we were struggling for money, where there was no access to capital. And these are all problems that I had to solve, obviously, as a founder. And it kept me up at night, you know, at those points in time. But for me now, we're in that phase of growth, that motivation, drive, reach, scalability, market access. Those are the things that I think of today. Yeah, completely agree. The problems change. And I completely agree with you as well that the fundamental aspect of this is the vision because it's not only about getting people in the team on that vision and getting them yeah, to, well, I was almost going to call it discretionary effort to go the extra mile, but it's also the customers. The moment they start to believe in what you believe, it because becomes like an oil spill almost that just keeps growing and growing and growing in a positive way. That's where your momentum it starts. Yeah, it's a snowball effect. That's for sure. Snowball effect. Yeah, yeah. So what are you most proud of achieving so far? Is there an anecdote that you just keep talking about? Culture. <laughs> I know it might not be a no, you know, no. This is irrelevant. An expected answer, but I'm most proud of the culture that I have built in Arrow Labs. People 
come to our labs because they love working for our labs and they love contributing to the vision of our labs. We really are, I believe, we are a unique culture amongst companies and corporations in how we operate. There's a really true family-like sense in the company. Everybody is on board. Everybody is there because they want to be there. And I think that's something I missed when I was working in large corporations. You don't really have that. You don't really have that kind of sense. You don't really have that kind of culture because the organizations are so massive. So when I set out to build out a company, I didn't want to just build a great product. I wanted to build a great company. I wanted to build a company where people can really come and innovate and people can come and do better and, you know, bring out all of their positive energy. And that's something that we are very protective of between me and my team and my senior leadership team. We're very protective about making sure that our culture thrives and continues. And hopefully every generation of leadership will then pass that on to the next generation of leadership. That's really something I'm super proud of. Of course, I'm very proud of the great breakthroughs that we have created as a product, as a technology with our wearable option that has provided a digital tool for so many people. And so we're a software company, but we actually went an extra mile and created the wearable. Mm -hmm. Because while we were solving the problem, because we're solving problems for the front line, a lot of companies or a lot of corporations can't afford or can't, from cybersecurity perspective or some other reason, they can't give everybody a smartphone. So we decided, okay, let's solve that one too. Let's create something that's wearable and yet still provide a certain level of information. That was when we came up with the MIMS watch. Nice. That's, yeah, breakthroughs. That's what it's all about at the end. Things that people talk about and the things that actually make a leap in change and in impact for people. And yeah, doing it in a way that's different rather than taking the limitations of, for example, mobile technology and smartphones, do it in in a radically different way. And wearables is indeed something that a lot of people don't think about, but they can provide great value. It's exciting. (laughs) It's very exciting. (laughs) Yeah. And also what you can get back out of that. Out of all the lessons that you've learned and the tidbits of wisdom that you've gained over the years developing and creating this company, what is a do and what is a possible don't or advice that you would give to other CEOs that aspire to to take things to the next level as well? I mean, I think that, you know, from my humble experience, I'm still learning a lot and I'm learning every day, just like everybody else, but just sharing my thoughts and my experience. I think, you know, think, strategize about your next two moves and three moves ahead. That's something that I like to do. So just to give you an example. So if I wanted to break into the UK market, for example, in two years' time, that's what, that'll be something that I'll be I'll start planning for, strategizing for today. Start looking at networks today. Start yeah. putting my foot on the ground. Start planting some small flags in that country. And start building consensus in the community. So I always found it better to plan early and really do a lot of small steps way ahead of time than doing bigger steps closer to the time. So if that makes any sense, that's one of the things, that's how I broke into the US market, which then led into us getting a foothold in the US all the way from MENA. And then we were very excited and thrilled that our series A in 2021 was led by Tim Draper from Silicon Valley, who believed in what we're doing. So 
And that couldn't have happened if in 2018, I didn't start planting flags in the United States. So I think definitely thinking ahead and starting to taking small executive steps ahead of time is really important. I think also being capital efficient is important, but there's a fine line between being capital efficient and then missing an opportunity. So I've always learned to, the saying goes, get the biggest bang out of the buck. So getting the most out of the dollar, but also you know, not missing the boat and not missing the opportunity and investing in things that might look a little bit risky, but have a great reward at the end. So take chances, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I took a great gamble with the wearable and introducing a wearable, but I believed, I believed in the problem because we're a software company and all of a sudden we're introducing a wearable. And it was a big gamble, but I had so much conviction in what this gamble will do that we invested in it. And at the time, we didn't have access to a lot of money. So taking a portion of that money and investing it in building out a wearable solution was certainly a gamble, but it was a gamble that paid off because now we have a tool in our arsenal that is used by so many people that wouldn't have had any access to digital tech and therefore no access to our software. Yeah, exactly. See what you mean. I like that kind of the way you put it together, being capital efficient and not missing an opportunity because the capital efficient can also be hold back, like don't take the risks and that doesn't bring the transformational change. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and it's a fine line and it's one that will be different time after time after time in terms of making the decisions. There's- oh, sure. And it's still the case today, right? Even you know, for us, as we're looking at the new frontier and what we're going to bring out next, it's unfortunate that I'm not allowed to give you any spoilers yet, but <laughs> but we are coming up with something new and innovative. And again, it's always a fine line between making that choice. But it's a choice that if you believe in it, do it and make the choice and take. Is that your framework? Uh, or is it more to the framework than just, okay, if you believe in it, do it? Well, I always start with, I have to believe in something to even take it to the next step of analysis and getting consensus from my team and going through all the other steps. I first have to believe in it. If I don't believe in it, then what am I doing? I think that's where innovation starts to die in a company is once the company itself starts rolling out features or functions that they don't believe in. But somebody, you know, some market research or some market study said that, you know, people need this or that, and they go ahead and they go and build it, but they themselves don't have the conviction or belief in it. So I think the starting point for anything should be, I believe in it. True. Completely agree. There's so much looking around. My competitor has this, my competitor has that. We need to have it as well. It kills innovation. You're very right on that. I think it does, because I think if your competitor innovated in one area and came up with something, great. If you believe in it, build it. But if you don't, you're going to innovate something else that they're going to try to do. That's the cycle, right? I really do have strong opinions about this. (laughs) And again, these are just my own thoughts. Great thought, great advice. And yeah, I mean, I could talk about this for hours, really. (laughs) I mean, I just want to thank you for the sharing of the wisdom, for the very thoughtful points that you made. I think there's a lot to learn, a lot to take away from this podcast. 
And for people that want to know more about your company, Aerolabs, or to say hi to you, where can they go best? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. They can go to our website, www.aerosecure.com. There's a ton of information there. There's a lot of information also out there. If you just Google Aerolabs, a ton of stuff comes up as well. And they can learn about what we're doing and how we're doing our bits to try to make a change and to try to make a wave ton, as you put it. All right, you'll it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's great guidance. As I said, thank you very much for being so open and sharing the journey and sharing the story. Thank you, Ton, so much. I really, really enjoyed it. And thank you again for having me on this podcast. I am a true fan and I will definitely be continuously listening to your podcasts going forward. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And this ends my conversation with Rami. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on the mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Rami Darwish, founder and CEO of Aerolabs. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.